You may remember, uh, I read some excerpts from an article to you several months ago that originated in France, an organization called LEAP 2020, who have identified how a, an empire or a nation or whatever uh, grows and then peaks and then declines and falls. And they said in that article which I read, I think it might have been in April, first part of May, I don't remember now when I read it for sure, but they said that we should be beginning the impact phase of the fiscal policies, the financial irresponsibility of both the Federal Reserve and our government, corporations and individuals, not only irresponsible, but I think I could add treacherous and perhaps even treasonous, because much of what is happening today is planned. It is planned to destroy the sovereignty of this country and to destroy us as a nation, to make us ready for entrance into the new world order and its world government. And this country has to go away before they can implement their entire plan because it stands in the way of the new government that is to encompass the earth. Some of our leaders may think that they will oversee it. I do not know for sure what they're thinking, but certainly they are in on it, and they are planning our demise. Now, as we sit here today, I believe we have entered that impact phase, that we're beginning to see a fall very rapidly from what we have been to a third world, third world and even a failed nation. It is on everybody's lips that the housing market is falling apart, and it was the last gasp to keep this country moving and to keep its economy up, because as the price of houses went up, people could borrow money, equity loans, and then they could keep spending that money on cars and goo-gaws and TVs and iPods and Blackberries and everything that people buy. So American consumerism has been driving our economy, and that has been made possible by rapid inflation of housing, and therefore able to borrow on bigger items like a house to buy smaller items that you like to have. So we have spit ourselves into absolute bankruptcy, both as a government and as a people, individually. We are importing 80 to 90 billion dollars a month more than we are exporting. They are printing money very rapidly right now to try to keep the banks afloat because as the economy crashes around the housing debacle, banks, loan institutions are going under right and left and some of the very biggest in the nation and the world are going under. And when you throw a big rock into the world economy, not just the U.S. economy, the ripple effect begins to occur. So it is affecting other nations' economies, and they're not happy with it. The price of wheat has more than doubled. The price of corn has tripled. That means the cost of tacos and tortillas is going to triple. It means the cost of everything is going to go up very rapidly. And not only are we having that, but we are beginning to have 
droughts in places where you'll read this is the worst drought on record. Since records have been kept, this is the worst drought we have ever had. Next to that, there'll be a headline, this is the worst flood we have ever had since records were kept. So between droughts and floods, which both destroy crops and cut down production, we have a shortage of crops coming and the world reserves of grain are dropping very rapidly. On top of that, we have this ethanol fiasco and it costs more to make fuel out of corn than it does fossil fuel. I've read that it costs $1.22 in fossil fuel to make a dollar's worth of ethanol. But it is also sopping up various plants, especially corn in the United States, and that's the reason corn is tripled instead of only doubled. So it's getting out of hand. You and I are beginning to feel the effects at the gas pump, at the tortilla market, or wherever we go. So the impact phase is beginning to hit us. Earthquakes are increasing very rapidly right now. Typhoons and floods in the east are causing devastation. Millions of people displaced from their homes. And on and on it goes. We're being primed right now for oil wars to start. In fact, they have already started. The impact is already hitting us, isn't it? Iraq is an oil war. That's what it's about. America wanting to have oil. And many Americans are dying. Many Iraqis are dying. And it appears now that we are gearing up to attack Iran as well. I think that fits with Daniel 8, probably, that the nations will get their ducks lined up after we invade Iran and then is when our horn will be broken. So, we're not talking about something way off anymore. We're talking about something that LEAP 2020 calls the impact phase. They're knocking on the doors of Americans every day across this country, the military is, and saying your son or your daughter is dead. That has a heavy impact on a family, doesn't it? They're talking about bringing back the draft so that they can get all our boys and girls to go die instead of just those who will volunteer to do so. It's time for our young people to study the scriptures and see if they should be going to war or should not be going to war. I don't mean out of fear of dying. I mean, is it right or wrong to be in the military? You young people need to study that very carefully because it's just around the corner. But they are not going to ask for volunteers, join the army, it's the thing to do. They're going to call you or write you and say, report for duty. It's in the works. And there's no way you can get out of it short of going to prison. You better know what you believe and why you believe it. They will interrogate you. I remember when I was 18 and there was a draft and I filed for a conscientious objection. They called me into a board of old men and I wasn't even shaving yet. 
and began to ask me some very pointed questions. Now, I needed to be able to prove and convince them that I truly was a conscientious objector, not just one not wanting to go to war. And if I hadn't had the scripture and the conviction, they would have forced me into the military or put me in jail. I would have had no choice. This is not far off. The impact phase is hit. We are going to expand our military operations, not cut them back. The American people voted a mandate, so-called, to the Democrats that they should slow down the Bush war machine. And since then, the Democrats have joined in and are also increasing the war machine. So the impact is upon us. I want to go back today and look at some scriptures that we have read for many, many years and said, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. And I want us to grasp that it is not coming anymore. It's here. What can be done about it? There are many, many people in this nation today who are petrified with fear. They have their retirements, their IRAs, their 401ks, in the stock market, or in pension funds, which have their money in the stock market. And when it drops 280 points in one day, they get scared. And then it goes up a little bit the next day, and oh, well, I feel a little better. but it's going to totally collapse. And everything they have is going to go away. Many, many Americans right now, this very day, as we sit in this building, are worried sick about how they're going to make their mortgage payment next month. Many of them in the next three months are going to have their adjustable rate mortgages go sky high on them. And the amount of their monthly payments will go up three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. And they're already barely making their payments. They're using their credit cards more and more so that they can make their mortgage payments. And they're scared. They don't know what they're going to do. As a sidelight, I am really, really happy that I'm living in a place where I do not have a mortgage. The bank does not have control in any way of us. Look back a few years, you who are sitting right here, and think where you would be had you stayed where you were with a big house mortgage, with big car payments, or two or three, credit cards full, jobs becoming more scarce, Inflation going up faster than wages. And right now, in America today, over the past 30 years, inflation has occurred 30 to 30 times, 30 to 35 percent faster than wages have increased. So instead of a man being able to support his family now with everything that you normally have to do in this society, 
It takes two and really even three incomes per family to have a house, two or three cars, lawnmower, basketball goal, and the things that middle Americans think they deserve. It's deteriorating very, very rapidly. I'm thankful I'm here. We do owe some money yet on this land, but it's in the hands of an individual, not a bank. And most of us here, I don't think any of us here really have mortgages. Some of us may still be paying 100 a month on a mobile home we bought or whatever, but that's nothing compared to these people with 800 to two or $3,000 mortgages a month. And most of us are driving older cars and don't have car payments anymore. So the impact is not near as hard on you as it is the people in St. George, in St. Louis, and wherever else. Grasp and understand that and be thankful that God gave you opportunity ahead of time to begin to divorce yourself from this world and its drug culture and its music culture and everything that is in this world. What do rats do when a ship begins to sink? They begin to find a way to get off. And if they can't get off, they climb on the highest thing or the highest person on the ship to stay out of the water as long as they can. Babylon, the great, led by America, is a sinking ship. The people of America and the world are the rats. Most will not know the, sink is, the ship is sinking until it's too late. We have been warned in Scripture well ahead of time to flee Babylon, to get out of it, not to be associated with it, not to look or act like it. How are we doing? We've come part way. I submit we haven't come all the way. But it is sinking. It is sinking fast. Let's go to Matthew 24. And Emmanuel went out and departed from the temple, and the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Emmanuel said to them, I'm using Emmanuel instead of Jesus, I think that it is time that we begin to be more and more familiar with God with us because we certainly need him with us now. More than a general term of God is salvation, Yahshua or Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us, is becoming more and more important. Because by the time I'm done today, I think you're going to recognize that we certainly need God with us. And Emmanuel said to them, See you not all these things? Truly I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down, speaking of the temple. Now the church itself is in great disarray and is falling apart, each stone being knocked off the walls. I talked to a fellow just yesterday I'd never talked with before and found our website. And uh, he's in one of the cities of America, I won't say which, it doesn't really matter, I guess, but... Uh, he started out with a group I 
I got the feeling of about 30, 35 people when Worldwide fell apart. And uh, it wasn't long until one fellow left to marry a Mormon, and you have to become a Mormon in order to marry a Mormon, or the church won't let you marry in the temple, and so on. So we're not the only ones that say don't date outside the church, are we? Even the Mormons do that. The Catholics, the Jews do that. God says that. He says, don't become unequally yoked with an unbeliever in 1 Corinthians 7, and that is a scripture that is based on marriage. That whole context is based on marriage. And God says, do not do it. Anyway, this one fellow left their group to marry a Mormon, and he says, one by one, the group disintegrated, and he was the only one left. And he's looking for guidance and direction and those that he might fellowship with. He said, I'm very lonely. His wife's not in the church, hasn't been. And 30 years after he became part of Worldwide, he's looking around saying, where is someone? Now, there are groups in his area, the city, that uh, meet united, perhaps living, others, but he doesn't want to go there. He understands the Jewish calendar is wrong. He understands certain things. But I use this example as one among many to show that the church, stone by stone, is falling apart. And most people are drifting further and further away from God and God's ways. So we're in the impact phase of that, aren't we, already? Have been for a long time. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's something we should be focusing on. What are the signs that will be? And Emmanuel answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Be very careful at what you listen to, who you listen to, and what they have to say. Be sure you check it in Scripture. Be sure it's from God, not just men's ideas. Okay? That's the first thing he said. Very important. There are a lot of people who are being deceived today in what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be doing it, what the work of God is at this point, and so on and so on. And you can be deceived by ministers in the church of God. Very deeply deceived. And not be headed in the right direction. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, whether they're saying they are Christ or whether they're saying he is Christ uh, has been argued, <coughs> but I think both apply and shall deceive many. There are many who say he is the Christ, but they don't believe what he said, and they don't follow what he said. And there are many who say that they are God, by putting their minds above God and above Scripture. I talked to someone recently who said, well, I don't need to read the Bible anymore because the Lord tells me everything I need to do. And it turns out the Lord is telling him some things that are contrary to Scripture. I remember a man not too long ago, a few years back, who was affiliated loosely with us, who said, you have to think above Scripture. And I wasn't in my grave yet, but I'd have turned over, had I been there, I think. 
It is impossible to think about Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. It's the mind of God. And if you think your mind is about Scripture, you have a delusional vanity and ego problem. I'll tell you what, I'll let you know a little secret. My mind, this one right up here, this, this one right here, is way below Scripture. I cannot think about Scripture. I have a dickens of a time every day thinking up to Scripture. Don't you? When will this be? Verse 4, And Emmanuel answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Oh, I read that. Let's see, verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet or quite yet. Now, we've been seeing wars and rumors of wars for quite a few years, haven't we? Genocides in equatorial Africa. Uh, Pakistan and India threatening one another with nuclear bombs and you know, on and on all around the world. The Irish fighting one another and wishing they could kill each other, the Protestants and the Catholics. And on and on it goes, wherever you look. So that has been with us for some time. It is getting worse. The Middle East is a hotbed of war and rumor of war. The end isn't yet. Verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. Now, when I started today, I gave a very quick and brief summary that the worst weather conditions on record are showing up in a lot of places, both flood and drought. And with that comes lack of food, and with that comes pestilence and disease, riding right behind it. Many people are dying of starvation right now, today. Our bellies are fairly full, probably, having eaten breakfast and looking forward to a potluck. But there are millions and millions of people on this earth who are curled up with their bellies hurting right now who have very little or nothing to eat. They're beginning to say that bird flu is hitting here and there in several different countries right now. I read just an article just this morning where it had afflicted five and four had died. I think that was, was that Corey? I forget exactly where it was. Different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to the afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Something is going to happen that is going to cause the whole world to hate the people of God. Now, I'm going to go back to Luke. Keep your finger there, if you will. Uh, or I don't care. Take it out and turn back later. Um, I'm going to go to Luke 21 a moment. He repeats somewhat the same things here, but I want to make a point down here in Luke 21. Uh, they came to him asking, when will this come to pass in verse 7? Uh, he told him not to go after deceivers, but you'll hear of wars and commotions not to be terrified. So he says, you're going to hear about all this, but don't be terrified. Don't worry about it, okay? We are under orders. 
not to be worried or terrified about wars that are going on around the earth. Okay? Because it isn't quite there yet. Not until by and by, verse 9. Then he said to them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in different places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall it be from heaven. Notice verse 12 is curious. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, so it's a religious persecution, and into prisons, and the civil government is also involved, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. And then he says, don't worry about it, I'll tell you what you need to say when the time comes. But the interesting part of this is it says that these famines and pestilences and so on will occur, and then they'll deliver us up to be killed. But Luke says, before all these things come to a crescendo, they will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and into prisons. And it says a little further on down that they'll cause some of you to be put to death, betrayed by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends. Now, is that a contradiction? Or is Luke adding some detail? Matthew says these things will occur and then they'll turn on us. Luke says, before all these things occur, they'll turn on us, and then they'll occur. Notice Matthew says, and emphasizes, they'll deliver you to be afflicted, that is, tortured, and then kill you, and all nations will hate you. Luke says, before these things come to a crescendo, that they will persecute you and deliver you to the center of the synagogues and in the prison and it'll kill some of you. So I think putting the two stories together, Matthew is saying it will come to a point after these things have reached a heightened crescendo that they're going to try to kill you all. And Luke is saying even before these things happen, they're going to begin to persecute you and deliver you to the civil authorities and there will be a religious persecution. Something has to happen to trigger that. I think we're going to have some persecution before it all completely hits, and then it will worsen after it all hits. Now remember in Revelation 12, when Satan is cast out of heaven for good, and he hasn't been yet, the first thing he will do is try to destroy that group of God's people who have come together to form the latter temple, and they will have to flee to the place of safety for their very lives. Then he will turn on the remnant of her seed, all those left behind, and try to kill every last one of them who did not go to the place of safety. What is it that is going to trigger the whole world hating a little group of people? It is going to have to be something that they will despise. I don't think keeping the Sabbath alone will do that. Otherwise, they would have already been after Sabbath keepers everywhere and tried to stop it. I think it has to be bigger. The project that we are on now may reveal some things. I'm not sure, and I won't predict that, but it may reveal some things that would cause the Catholic, the Protestant, the Jewish, all religions 
and ultimately all governments against us. It has that potential. Now some might say, then let's not do it. I say, if it's part of what God wants done, and it will reveal his holy arm and make known who he is and who his people are, then let's get on with it. Let's get it done. Now, we're going to have a bit of a delay. Uh, the help that we had there is not going to be available to us until a little later in the winter, perhaps November. And not only that, but we have much, much that we're behind on here that needs to be done between now and the feast. So we're suspending that operation until right after the Feast of Tabernacles and then plan to hit it hard again. That way we can get this place ready for the feast, get ourselves spiritually ready. Uh, there are a lot of things I'm behind on, having been on that project for seven months plus being in Kansas for nearly a month. And uh, I have to be ready spiritually for the feast and have messages ready. We have to get the physical plant ready. So there's much that needs to be done here, and we'll discuss that tomorrow night, but I still feel that that is a very important thing to get done and to see if indeed there is something to it. Uh, some of you out on the telephone line might be wondering what in the world is he talking about, and I don't plan to discuss it right now uh, openly and publicly. It's something that we have some insight on perhaps that... Uh, may have a heavy bearing on the world's attitude toward God's people. And it'll have a heavy bearing on God making himself known to the world. Let's just leave it at that for the moment. It's an archaeological thing where we may be discovering some things that show a greater Israelite presence in the United States than uh, even those who realize and see those things have grasped. God has been working here for a long, long time. And it will be shocking if it is indeed true. But we don't know until we have evidence, so let's move on here. Uh, that is not my main concern. My main concern for us is that we be able to face and escape what is upon us and coming upon us. We have entered the impact phase. Your paychecks are going to be affected. Everything in our lives will be affected. It already is being. You know, I have to think pretty carefully if I need to take a long trip whether or not I should. It costs a lot of money now to fill your vehicle up. Three dollars times 15, 20, 30, 40 gallons every time you stop, it gets expensive. Used to, I didn't think about it. If there was a need, okay, we'll go take care of it. I'll still do that, but I'd better think about it. You know, is this really a need or is it not? And the one in Kansas recently was a need. Something I had promised to do and I was the only one to do it, so I went and did it. Took care of those people and I don't feel badly about it at all, but the impact is here, is what I'm trying to say. Now, what is going to happen to God's people? It says, these are the beginning of sorrows, these things we see happening more and more now, month by month. 
They're the beginning of sorrows. Sorrows. Then shall I deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. Now this is talking about God's people, not people out in the world. Many of God's people are going to be offended. Now if we are close to God, it says nothing will offend us, right? Now that tells me that a lot of people are not going to be nearly as close to God as they need to be, therefore they will be offended. Now if many are going to be offended, many will betray one another and hate one another. That means that conditions will exist that would cause that. Now, if those conditions, or should I say, when those conditions hit us, will you be one of those who is offended, who will hate and betray your brethren? Why would you do that? Why would people do that? For the same reason people always hate and betray one another to save their own hides. That's why they'll do it. They figure that if the church is being persecuted, maybe, well, this wasn't really the true church after all, and they're about to kill me, but if I will give them a list of names of people who are part of that church, they promised me clemency. They'll let me go if I'll turn on these people. So to save their own hides, people will cause others to be killed. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There are all kinds of winds of doctrine going about today. Crazy, off-the-wall doctrines that are not based in Scripture. Thousands of them. People are leaning to their own understanding. And they don't have much. They think they do, but they don't. Proverbs 3 says, don't lean to your own understanding. There was a time in Israel's history when they did lean to their own understanding. There was no leadership to lead them. And God says it'll be that way here at the end. That our king is dead, our counselors perish there in Malachi, no, Micah 4. After Herbert Armstrong died, there has been a dearth of leadership. And most people are not being told the truth. They're being preached sweet, easy things. And that deceives people into thinking they're okay and they'll be protected. When in reality, they will not. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you had better seek out and find Someone who will tell you the truth about what is going on and what you need to do about it. This fellow I talked to the other day, or yesterday I guess it was, is looking for some answers. His group went from 30 to 1. And he doesn't know where to turn. I told him keep studying our website. If we could help him, let us know. I didn't encourage him necessarily to come here. 
If we can help you, let us know. He has to find his own way, doesn't he? We have to find our own way. Well, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together in Hebrews, so much the more as we see the time drawing near. But more and more, you see people withdrawing themselves and doing their own thing. Now that is a definite scriptural no-no. God says under no circumstances are we to do that, and so much the more as the day draws near. But we are to gather ourselves together, not pull ourselves apart. But people are denying that scripture. They are not using it for doctrine and for instruction in righteousness. They are moving away from it. And there may be some of the ones that the wolves pulled out, out there alone by themselves. Now that scripture doesn't say when it comes apart where to go necessarily, does it? It just says don't go on your own. Then it leaves it upon you to decide where you had better go to get the help, the strength, the succor that you need. It has been my experience and observation over the last 50 some odd years in the church. The people who are out by themselves do not grow. That was true back in the 50s when people were scattered. Our nearest neighbor in West Texas in the church was 130 miles away. And they were the only ones probably within 400 miles. And it was 500 miles to the only church service in Big Sandy. And people just did not grow much. Even though they kept their ear to XELO and XEG and some of those Mexican stations trying to hear through the static and read the plain truth and devoured it in the good news and Newsweek and U.S. News and all those magazines to try to see what was happening, they still didn't grow very fast. You need weekly or more spiritual food and you need to have your head in the Bible in order to grow. And when you divorce yourself from groups and go out on your own, you begin to shrivel. Christ established the church as our mother to feed us. A mother's job is to feed the family so that it grows. Now, if you noticed, when Ma goes away, that the quality of food usually goes down. When Mom is sick in bed, the meals aren't as good. We don't like to see mother leave, do we? And it's true spiritually as well. When you're a bachelor or children on your own, the quality of what you eat changes. And the quality of what people eat when they go out on their own changes dramatically spiritually. We need, as human beings, each other. And we need iron to sharpen iron and to remind each other and help each other so that we don't fall away and wither up and die. But many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Sin will increase. 
connection to this world and its ways will increase. Revelation 18 tells us, Depart from her, get away from her, that you be not partakers of her iniquities, her sins, and her plagues. Why is it so hard for us to come out of it? It's what we've known. It's what we've grown up with. It's the American way. But it's diabolical, and it's satanic, and God is going to destroy it. It is a sinking ship. Get off it while you can. This fellow said, I'm in it. I'm here. He says, I'm tempted. I make all kinds of mistakes. I sin. I, I want to do what's right, and I have trouble doing it. He says, how do you get past being jello? Interesting comment and question. I think I'm going to start a series. I've been thinking somewhat along those lines anyway, and he crystallized that thought. How do you get past being spiritual jello, where you actually have some backbone and stand up for things and do something about it? How do you get there? It doesn't do any good to know you need a backbone. You need to know how to find one, how to grow one, how to stiffen the one you got so you're not jello. Sin will abound, and people's love for each other and for God will dissipate. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. All right, we're in an endurance contest here, aren't we? We've got to find a way to endure to the end, because he says if you do, you'll be saved. Bottom line. All these things are going to transpire, and then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. It's not going to be, pro it's not going to be preached to call people. It is going to be a witness against the call has already gone out under Herbert Armstrong. A few are being chosen from that for the end time work and this last witness that has to go out. And I want you and I, or me, to be a part of that. We've got to endure. We can't give up. We can't get in bad attitudes. No, it's just men or whatever. These are the words of God here, not my words, not anybody else's words. Then he says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. The holy place is going to be where God's people are. The presence of God's Spirit in his people is what makes the place holy. Whoso reads, let him understand. This is something that is not going to be easily understood, and I think we in the church have misunderstood it for the most part. And we focused on a place the Protestants said God protects his people, and that was Petra. And it was wrong. Is it biblical? Zion is the place, the Bible says, is the place of refuge and where God will protect his people. Which Zion is that? <laughs> 
we won't go there today. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Where is the true Judea? Is it in the Middle East? I think that's open to question. We shall see. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Don't go back for the cat or the dog or anything, because when Satan comes after the church, he's going to want to kill every last one of us. Woe to them that are with child. Better not be pregnant when this comes. And to them that give suck. It's going to be a very, very difficult time. Do not be pregnant. Do not be nursing. Make sure when this occurs, your children are old enough that they can go with you, not be carried, either in uterus or in arms. When have we entered that phase? I don't know. All I can do is read you the warning. I think we are very close. I don't know exactly how close. I think we are entering the impact phase, which is going to mean that things are going to deteriorate very rapidly. Revelation 17 and 18 talk about Babylon falling in one day. It even says one hour later in Revelation 18. Go back to Isaiah 47 and it says suddenly. And in verse 9 it says uh, in one day. A day can be as a year, or a day can be a day. One hour is a pretty short time, and maybe that is symbolic. Maybe it simply means a very short time, not 60 minutes. Maybe it means a year, not just a day, a day being a year, Numbers 1434. I don't know, but suddenly it will come. So don't be pregnant or nursing. And pray that your flight not be in bad weather. Translation is not necessarily winter. Neither on the Sabbath day. That's a day of rest. We should be praying ahead of time that God will restrain Satan and that he will not cause us to have to flee on the Sabbath. There's a certain amount of conscience conflict there. Now God can arrange that. But I'll tell you this, Satan is going to want to do it on the Sabbath. That will be his purpose and desire, to shake us out of our beds and flee for our lives on a Sabbath, be it an annual Sabbath or a weekly Sabbath. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. The conditions that are coming on this world are going to get so bad that human life would be extinguished completely. Now, the New World Order wants to cut the population by 90%. But they are, through Satan, or Satan through them, is beginning to unleash something that will go beyond their control. And God himself says that there would not be one human being left when this is finished if he didn't intervene. Should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. God says 
that because some people will be obedient to him, who will be the elect, those who will obey God and will not go the way of the world, he will shorten this period of time so that some will be saved. In other words, the whole world, not just America, is a sinking ship. And there's only one thing going to be sticking above the water when it goes down. That is God the Father and His Son, Emmanuel. They are our only hope. If they do not shorten it, none of us will survive. China could destroy America next month if they so chose. All they have to do is quit buying U.S. savings bonds and treasury instruments and dump their over a trillion dollar bills that they have in their hands on the world market. And our economy would go completely into the trash overnight. That's all it would take. And there are a thousand other ways Americans can be destroyed. But just that one singular act would do it. Why haven't they? It isn't in God's plan and purpose yet, A. And B, they're afraid to because their own economy would go into the dumpster when they did it. They don't want to lose the value that's there. But if we keep doing the insane things we are doing monetarily in this nation, they will come to the point they have no choice. The whole world is going to recognize that they're going to lose everything they have anyway because of us. And they're going to take steps to remedy it. Now that is not necessarily a prophetic lesson. That's not necessarily a quote from the Bible, although they're there. That's just what you see in the newspapers today. That's what you see even on the bought television stations. But we are in a severe economic situation. And it is far more severe than your television is going to tell you. Because those TVs belong to the New World Order, those stations. And they are putting out only what they are told to put out. So it is much, much grimmer than you'll see on the evening news or CNN or Fox or any of these other paid lackeys. Much worse. We are on the verge of total collapse. Now I know that's frustrating to some of you. And to our young people, they say, what's the use? Because it's all coming down? Well, why should I bother? Well, I'll tell you this. Even a child is known by his works, by his deeds. And God does say that the children are sanctified by the obedience of the parents. So to some degree, if your parents are obedient, God will protect you. And to some degree, if you are obedient to God, God will also find it in his heart to protect you. Now, once you reach a certain age, it's more and more on you and less and less on your parents. 
You know, when a child is two, three, four, five years of age, God is going to make the judgment for that child based entirely upon what the parent is doing, right? But when that child reaches 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years of age, more and more of his attitudes, what he does, what he thinks, falls on him, not his parents. So if you're lying and cheating and stealing and doing ungodly things and fornicating and disobeying God in your life and going the way of this world and its movies and its music and its stuff, God is going to put more and more of the judgment on you than on your parents. In other words, the responsibility of whether you are going to make it through this thing alive or be tortured and killed, more and more of it falls on you the older you get. You become more and more responsible. You say to your parents, why don't you treat me like an adult? And that comes from a frustration of being treated, you think, like a little child. But the obvious answer is, why don't you act like one? If you'll act like one, we'll treat you like one. But if you're in an interim period and you're not truly adult yet, it's hard for you to truly act like one, isn't it? You show flashes of it. But it's hard to be that all the time because you're not that yet. But as you age, God holds you more and more responsible for your works, the things you do, the things you say. So as you age, God's determination of whether you'll be protected falls more and more on you. Okay? Now, if God is the only one who can save us from what is coming. The only one who can do it. Where should we be turning? Where should we be looking? Do you think some athletic figure is going to save you? Do you think some rock star is going to save you? Some country star is going to save you? Some movie star? Do you think some bank's going to save you? Do you think Taco Bell's going to save you with a job? It's all coming down. There's only one thing going to be sticking above the sinking ship, and that's God. And those who will follow God. He'll hold them up. He'll take them to a place of safety. You don't need to look upon this as gloom and doom. This is good news. Everyone out there in the world who has money in the stock market and in a pension fund and sees jobs going to China and India in Mexico, and Mexicans coming in here by the millions, sees their future going away. It's not just the church, people. The whole world is getting nervous that America is going away. The American dream is vanishing in a cloud of yellow and brown. People moving in and taking over. And we're spending ourselves to death at China March. Every time the American populace by the hundreds of millions walks in Walmart, we're putting another nail in our coffin. 
because the Chinese are buying us. And they're getting ready to foreclose on us because we owe them over a trillion dollars. They have IOUs. Say U.S. on it. That's all it is, is an IOU. We send them a paper and tell them, I owe you a dollar's worth. And they got a trillion of them in their hands. And more in their banks, their electronic banking, than that. And not only that, they've already used a lot of them to come over here and buy our companies. We're selling our highways, our toll bridges. We're selling everything to foreigners. They own us. I don't have to speak from prophecy. Wake up. Look around. We're done. We're finished. We're doomed. It's over. All but the bayonetting. We're already cooked. We're ready to come out of the oven. It's done. There's only one way you can get out of this alive. That's to serve God with all your heart. It's the only way. If somebody can come up with another way to get out of this, I'd like to know what it is. Please come tell me. The next week I'll come back and I'll give you an option. You can either serve God or you can go... Where? I'll preach it. You show me another answer, I'll preach. I'll give you another way than God. You can come up with one. I feel confident that I don't have to worry about that. There is no other answer. <laughs> you know, that gives you a, that, that creates a dilemma for all of us, doesn't it? Our human nature does not like God's way. It likes the human way, the natural, the fleshly way. We like to be entertained. We like to be happy in what we're doing. And we do not like God's way. It is absolutely contrary to human nature to be nice, to be loving, to not steal, lie, commit adultery and fornication and all these things that human beings like to do. Contrary to our nature, we despise, we are enmity against God. The human, natural, carnal, regular, everyday mind is enmity against God. Hates Him. Hates His ways. They'll say, oh, I love God, but I just hate to do what He says. You can't do both. So what I'm doing today is throwing us all a lifeline, brethren. There is a way out. Let's go back to Luke 21 for just a moment. Matthew doesn't mention this, but there is a way. Talks about great distress and Jerusalem being trodden of the Gentiles. Jerusalem is the church, remember. Go down to verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads. You're going to look around at this world 
and you're going to see it coming apart at the seams. Even you, young people, sitting in this room today, if it goes on long enough, are going to be approached by the military and say, you are going to come fight and kill for Halliburton and for Rockefeller and for all these gigantic corporations and banks who want to control the world. They'll say it's for the United States of America, but they are betraying us to the New World Order. And you're not fighting for America. You'll be fighting for big corporations who want to use you as cannon fodder to further their purposes. This is personal. This is soon. This is you. So you'll look around and you'll see all these things. Well, when you see them, what are you supposed to do? Look around, that's what he says, watch all these things, and when you see them happening, don't look around anymore, look up! That's the place to look. You're going to see all this impact phase hitting us, and it's going to be coming from all around us. And he says, don't even look at it at that point. Look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. When all these things happen, those who will obey God, who will serve Him and His people with love, and work together to be godly, their redemption is near. They'll be pulled out of what is going on. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves, summer is near at hand. And we do that every year, don't we? You drive around and you begin to see leaves come on the trees. You begin to see flowers sticking their petals above the ground. And you begin to recognize, hey, spring is almost here. It's easy, okay? Simple analogy. God says when you see all these famines and pestilences and wars and all these things start to happen, then know that your being saved out of it is near. Hallelujah! This is good news. This isn't bad news. When you see all this stuff coming, know that your redemption is near. I couldn't give you any better news than that. This isn't a sermon of gloom and doom. It started that way, I guess, but it's not the way it ends up for those who will obey. Look up. So likewise, you, when you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is nearly at hand. Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The generation that sees these things coming will not die out before all these things are finished. This generation of the church will not die off until this is finished. He's speaking to the church here, speaking to the disciples. He wasn't speaking to the world in general. Not talking about the generation of people living on the earth apart from the church. And he's basically quit calling people into the church. So he's saying that there will be old people in the church who saw 
the church under Herbert Armstrong, according to Haggai, and they'll be able to see the latter temple, which is going to be built very soon, and they'll see that there's no comparison. And they will not die, these old men, until this is all finished. So when you see the impact phase started, know that these gray and bald heads around here will not disappear before this is finished. Might lose one or two or three or four, but not the generation. Now, what should we do? Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with partying and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unaware, sneaks up on you. Be alert. Be on guard. Be very careful not to be in the mode that America is in today. Let's party on. Let's get drunk. Let's be concerned with our jobs and our cares of this life more than concerned about God and what we need to be doing. Your job's not going to save you. Your radio station's not going to save you. Only God can save you. The only hope you have. Now that's good news because he can do it. No one else can. For as a snare it shall come all in that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch you therefore. Be aware, be alert, be on guard, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You want to know how to live through what is about to hit and is already beginning to hit. Here's the answer. Turn to God and pray always. Pray a lot. Think about these things. Watch what is happening. And pray with all your heart that God account you worthy to escape. Now what is your worthiness going to be based on? If you're praying... He saved you, then you need to be doing those things that would cause him to be inclined to save you. Following his words, living his way, not living the way of this world. Now, I'm not going to police you, the ministry, beyond a certain point. We will police certain things. or minimal behavior. But we can't watch everything you do. We can't be everywhere you are, whether you're adult or not. And you young people cannot be watched by your parents at all times. And you are quite capable of doing things that they don't know about and finding ways to do it. I know I was a kid. But I'll tell you what, the older you get, the more of the judgment of whether you're accounted worthy to escape is going to fall on your head, not on your parents. I'm just telling you, there is a way to survive. These people in Colorado City will not survive. The people in St. George will not survive. The people in New York will not survive. You 
have a chance to survive. Not only to survive, but to be blessed. I was going to Zephaniah 1. Maybe I'll just briefly summarize. You already know these. I've been there. We've been there. Zephaniah 1 talks about a great financial crash, but even the gold and the silver will do people no good. The conventional wisdom today by many newsletters and financial instruments is to get rid of your dollars and buy gold and silver and oil. But Zephaniah 1 says even your gold and your silver will not save you. You can't eat it. There's no food. Gold and silver actually are a little harder to chew than dollar bills. Now, they might help a little bit for a short time when the U.S. dollar is worthless, but not for very long because the whole economy is going into the dumper. So even gold and silver will not save you. It's all coming down. Zephaniah says to work hard. He says to turn to God. And it is interesting to me, I don't know whether it's exactly the way it's set up or not, but that financial crash of Zephaniah 1 and then he tells us to gather ourselves together before it happens in Zephaniah 2 and to work and not let our hands be slack near the end of chapter 2. And then it goes into Haggai and says the latter temple will be built. And the two witnesses will come on the scene and people will be drawn to them and the latter temple will be built. So that gathering of God's people may not occur until this financial collapse has occurred. Then it may happen based on that particular order, if it is in chronological order in Zephaniah and Haggai. So the crash could come. God tells us to gather ourselves, but how many will? Maybe there will be a chance for the gathering to occur before the financial crash hits hard. I don't know that. And maybe there won't. Let's go to Isaiah 30 and close this out. It echoes what I quoted from Zechariah, I mean from Revelation 18. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Eternal, that take counsel but not of me. Are we going to get our answers from the world? Are we going to be rebellious and go there? Are we going to come out of the world? Isaiah 48 tells us, get away from Babylon. Flee from her. So does Jeremiah 50, 51, and 52. If you're going to find counsel, find it in God. If you're going to find any answers to what's coming, seek God. He has the answers. He can save us. And if we do what we're supposed to, He will save us out of this. So this is good news. And they cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They cover their deeds. They cover their ways. Try to hide them. You know, lying is a cover sin, is what lying is. You lie to cover other sins. They walk to go down into Egypt, the way of sin, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Trust in their bank account, trust in their job, trust in themselves, whatever. 
Verse 7, For the Egyptians shall help in vain, and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. They don't know what to do. This is a rebellious people, a lying children, verse 9, children that will not hear the law of the eternal, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy to Zeke, cover the trouble that's to come with a cover. Lie to us. We don't want to hear the truth. A lot of what I've said today, some of you do not want to hear. You don't want to hear it. It hurts. It's scary. And it requires you to do something to save your hide other than any other solution you might come up with other than being righteous. Seeking God. Verse 11, get out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. The people are going to scream, don't tell us what God's going to do, just like Israel did at Sinai. We don't want to hear God. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. It's going to happen very quickly. It's going to swell out. You're going to see it happening. If you're going to, it's like a wall and you're watching it. And maybe it has water and mud behind it and it begins to move and then creak and groan and pop and the mortar begins to come out. And it goes out a certain distance and suddenly, boom, it's all over. I'll tell you what, I can see it swelling out there right now. I feel mortar falling on my head just looking at what's happening in the world today. And he shall break it. It's the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken, like throwing a pot, a clay pot on the ground, shattering it into a million pieces is the way God is going to do this. He shall not spare, so that therefore shall not be found in the bursting of it a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. You can't find a big enough piece of this society left that you could carry water for a drink. That's how bad it's going to be smashed by God because of the iniquity and the sin. For thus says the eternal God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. If you will return to God and rest in Him and rest on His days, you'll be saved. Now he says, I'm going to break it like a clay pot. But if you'll turn to me, you'll be saved. What better news could we have than that? In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. But God has said, if you'll just trust me and have confidence, not be fearful and timid, obey me, serve me, do what I say. Depart from the sinking ship and climb up on me, and I will save you. But you said, as a whole, as a church, as a nation, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall you flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. They say, oh, we'll just leave America. We'll go to New Zealand, we'll go to Central America, we'll go somewhere, we'll get away from it. We'll jump on our horses and get out of here. God says, no, the ones that come after you will be swift. There's no place to go. This is coming on the whole earth. 
One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall you flee, till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, as an ensign upon a hill. And therefore will eternal wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore will he be exalted. Now he says that his people are going to be a light to the world. They're going to go up on a mountain and be a light to shine. But we're going to be chased there. And the only way that we'll be accounted worthy to escape and actually to make it there is if he accounts us worthy and protects us. He will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. He's going to bless us if we'll obey him. If we'll do his way, people, he will bless us. He will protect us. We don't have to worry. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Interesting, specific point. We better know where Zion and Jerusalem are. And it's not talking about that city in the Middle East. It is going to be a place of war, not a place of safety. This has to be somewhere else. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer you. I look forward to this time, brethren, when this thing is starting to come apart and we will pray and God will absolutely right then answer us. He'll do it. Promises it right here. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner any more, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Oh my, some people are going to say, we're going to have teachers. Well, we don't need teachers. We can teach ourselves. No, it's never going to be that way. Never has, never will. Not going to happen. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Boy, that's going to tick some people off, isn't it? Somebody going to tell them what to do? Oh, my, 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 my. What are we going to do? Maybe we better change our attitudes. Maybe it would be better, better to be ready to listen and have someone tell us what we need to do as long as it fits this word. You shall defile also the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molten images of gold. You shall cast them away as a minstrel's cloth. All of our gods of this world will throw away like they were a stinking bloody rag. You won't get rid of it? You better. God says if you'll turn to him, you'll throw everything in this world away. Then shall he give the rain of your seed, that you shall sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. And that day shall your cattle feed in large pastures. This isn't talking about the millennium, brethren. This is talking about when this destruction is coming on the world, he's going to protect his people and give them every blessing that he can cast upon them. Let's see that. Verse 25, It shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of waters, in the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. Not the millennium. This is the time of the great slaughter. This is when the towers of the cities all fall. Not just two or three, but when they all go down. 
God is going to be protecting His people and blessing them as a people has never been blessed before during that time. Uh, it talks in verse 31, For through the voice of the Eternal shall the Assyrian be beaten down with smoke with the rod. They're going to come in, they're going to destroy this nation. This is talking about the end time when God separates his people and takes upon a high mountain and makes a beacon, a light to the world of them. You and I have this knowledge. We have this opportunity. Every last one of us in this room and every one of you out listening on the radio, on the telephone, and you who hear this on a tape in the next year or two or three, have an opportunity, a way out, a way off the sinking ship and into the blessings of Almighty God the Creator who is going to give us a garden like Eden he says in Isaiah as well. Verse 29, You shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goes with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. And the Eternal shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and show, shall show the lighting down of his arm with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hail and destroy the Assyrian who came after us. Yeah, this may have started out in Matthew 24 as a dirge, but it gives an opportunity. When you are given an opportunity, what should you do? Seize it. Grab it. Don't let it get away. There's only one way to get off a sinking ship. You better grab it or you're going to sink with the ship. God is that way. So this isn't bad news. It's bad news for most of the world because most of the world will not turn to God. But it's good news to those who will hear and will heed and will turn to God because they will be saved. 